Next, funds raised for a Kids Care Mobile ICU, a neonatal and pediatric critical care transport vehicle. Kids Care vehicles and helicopters safely transfer more than 2,200 infants and children a year to Wolfson Children's Hospital. To get your tickets, call 202-2886, 202-2886, or thefloridaforum.com, thefloridaforum.com. Discover the difference that local expertise makes at First Coast Lighting and Fans. Visit their showroom at the Avenues and browse high quality products to match your desire for elegance, quality, and uniqueness at First Coast Lighting and Fans. 1010XL is presented by Farrah and Farrah, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family, call 396-5555, Jacksonville. He's Hacker. Talk about a fried egg. I lasted about five minutes out there. I said, to heck with this. I'll do this in the morning. And I don't have any inside information. The lady that did it, she got in there. Don't I go. mean, she made it happen. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. And I do enjoy drinking cold beer at ballparks. So if that makes me a baseball fan, then I'm a diehard baseball fan. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday. Well, I almost missed a day. Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Back from a little Orlando getaway. Enjoyed myself, but certainly glad to be back to talk sports with you for the rest of the week. And for Rick Ballou as he is off for a getaway out in, I believe, Las Vegas is where Baloo is. That's the difference between Baloo and I. Baloo will go to Vegas. I'll go to Walt Disney World. So it's a little different. So I hope Rick's having a good time out there in Las Vegas. We are now, all of a sudden, only three weeks away from NFL free agency, which is very, very hard to believe. The legal tampering period begins on Monday March the 11th, you can officially sign free agents on the 13th day of March, which is three weeks from tomorrow. So there is a lot to get into when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, both their in-house free agents and guys they may look at to bring in. We have also reached that period in the offseason where it is now acceptable to put franchise tags on people effective today for the next two weeks. We are in Josh Allen watch, as all indications are. Allen will be franchised if a deal cannot be reached by March the 5th. So, there is a lot to get into. That's actually where I want to begin tonight with the franchise tag with Josh Allen and what the future there does hold. Guest lineup looks like this. I mentioned it there on the two-minute drill with helmets and heels. Daniel Griffiths is a guy that writes for Jaguar Report. It's our buddy John Shipley's website that he does such a great job with. Daniel is an analytics guy, all right? You know I love PFF, but that's the national, you know, pro football focus. Daniel is more Jaguar-centric. This guy's throwing out numbers left and right. This player does this well, and that player does that well, and numbers here and decimal points there. And I find it very interesting. If you like PFF, you'll like some of the stuff that Daniel Griffiths is doing at Jaguar Report. And Daniel's going to join us in uh, about 15 minutes or so to talk about that, give his offseason thoughts on the Jaguars moving forward. Also, my buddy Brent Beard talking Florida, Florida State. You see this 
Uh, ESPN.com put out their way too early top 25 preseason football rankings. Florida plays nine of those top 25 teams on ESPN.com. Nine of them. We'll talk about that and more with Brent Beard. That comes up towards the top of the 9 o'clock hour. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No, it is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Yeah, it is a big deal, and it's the franchise tag. And what's interesting about the franchise tag is all indications are it's going to be used on Josh Allen. I'm not breaking any news there. And it needs to be used on Josh Allen. Josh Allen was the MVP of this football team last year. And the fact that begrudgingly it's going to have to be used on him because it did not get a long-term deal in place is not a good look from the Jaguars. Um, Do I have trepidation about giving Josh Allen absolutely enormous money? Yeah, maybe I do a little bit. Josh Allen, keep in mind, I know we've talked about this, you go 2020, 2021, and 2022, Josh Allen had 17 and a half sacks. He tied that mark in 2023 alone. So who is Josh Allen? Is he the guy we saw in 2023 that was second in the NFL in sacks? Or is he the guy that we saw in 2020, 2021, and 2022 that was seven and a half, seven in that neighborhood? I think it probably lies somewhere in the middle. I think Josh Allen, you cannot count on him having 17 and a half sacks every year. To me, that's not realistic. I also think you should expect more than seven and a half. I think probably 11 or 12 is my expectation. And if you get 11 or 12 consistently, yeah, that is a franchise player. So Josh Allen, to me, deserves to be paid like a franchise player. And he will, right? We'll see what happens. I mean, whether it's with the franchise tag or a long-term deal, my hope is that it doesn't get sticky, right? I don't want any issues between the organization and Josh Allen when it comes to contracts, when it comes to the franchise tag. I don't believe we'll get to that point, but it's always a possibility. And when you go through the memory banks of the Jaguar franchise tag, John Shipley, I thought, did a great job at Jaguar Report really breaking this down earlier on. First franchise tag the Jaguars ever handed out was in 2000, and that was to Tony Brackens, with good reason. Brackens ultimately did sign a new six-year deal for $38 million back then, but they could not get a deal done. You had to franchise Brackens. I liked it then. I like it now. And think about that. Now, it's 24 years difference, but a guy like Tony Brackens, who was coming into the prime of his career, got six years and $38 million. Josh Allen's probably going to be a $100 million man. Probably going to be in the $100 million range. The difference in money between the year 2000 and the year 2024 is absolutely striking. Donovan Darius is the poster child for the franchise tag here in Jacksonville. Not once, not twice, three separate occasions. 
2003, 2004, and 2005. In fact, you could argue that Donovan Darius is one of the poster child or poster children for not allowing teams to do that any longer. Teams cannot franchise guys three years in a row because it happened to Darius. I believe it happened to Walter Jones in Seattle. That was another one, and the NFLPA really fought against that at their last collective bargaining. I believe you can franchise guys two years in a row now, but you cannot franchise them after that second year because of situations like Darius, <coughs> excuse me, and like Walter Jones. And by the way, I don't fault Jacksonville for franchising Darius three years in a row. It was with that agreement and the Jaguars that were every bit in their right to do that. Obviously, that agreement changed, and you can no longer do that, but I don't fault them. Mercedes Lewis got the tag in 2011. I had forgotten that. Mercedes Lewis had a career year, that contract year. That was like the 10-touchdown year for Mercedes Lewis. It was his best year as a Jaguar. The Jaguars franchised him, obviously kept him around for considerable more seasons after that, but I had actually forgotten that Mercedes Lewis got the tag in 2011. Josh Scobie got the franchise tag in 2012. Scobie was one of the best kickers in football, but very rarely do you see a kicker being franchised. That was the case with Scobie. And then the Jaguars did not use the tag for eight years. From Josh Scobie in 2012, you have to go all the way to 2020 in Unique Ngakwe to see when the franchise tag was used again. Now, Ngakwe, that situation did get bad between he and the organization. It ultimately did not work out. We know Cam Robinson got the tag in both 2021 and 2022 before he signed a three-year extension. And then, of course, last year, Evan Ingram got it. So the Jaguars, unlike a lot of teams, have been very fruitful, I guess, with the franchise tag. They have not minded to use the franchise tag on many different players. But when you look at all those guys, you look at Tony Brackens, you look at Mercedes Lewis, you look at Josh Scobie, you look at Donovan Darius, you look at Ngakwe, Cam, and Evan Ingram. I think realistically you could argue Josh Allen is every bit as important, if not maybe the most important guy of any of those guys that have ever gotten the tag here in Jacksonville. Brackens, yes, but keep in mind, you still had Tony Baselli, you still had Fred Taylor, Jimmy Smith, Mark Brunell. You had a lot of great players on that 2000 team. Donovan Derry is a great player, but he's a safety, right? I mean, where does safety rank into the overall scheme of things when talking about an NFL roster? Um, Ngakwe, you could argue Ngakwe was very important, although... Back then, you had Jalen Ramsey, you had Calais Campbell, you had Leonard Fournette, you had Allen Robinson. You maybe didn't think of Ngakwe in the same regard that you think of Josh Allen. Evan Ingram last year? No. Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne? I don't think you thought about Evan Ingram in the same regard that you think of Josh Allen. So, I think you could argue Allen, the most important guy on that list. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in the throat. So we'll certainly see what happens with Josh Allen and the franchise tag moving forward. It is franchise tag week, if you will, for the next 14 days. You can place that franchise tag on players 
and I certainly anticipate Josh Allen getting that tag here in Jacksonville. We got a lot to do tonight, a lot of NFL talk, a lot of Jaguar talk. Let's kick it off with Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report. The guy is a numbers guy. The guy is an analytics guy. You guys know I love PFF, pro football focus. Daniel over at Jaguar Report is bringing it locally to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's crunch the numbers, let's look at the offseason, and let's talk Jaguars. Daniel Griffiths, Jaguar Report, next on Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Jaguar talk coming up in just a moment. Before we get there, I did want to thank the folks at High School 912, Alan Verlander and everybody, for uh, having us out earlier today at the Spring Media Day at the Riverside YMCA. Those events are very cool. I enjoy doing those, get to talk to a lot of these high school athletes. We'll post some video on the 1010XL social media channels. But, you know, a lot of kids, the the five-star football player or the five-star basketball player, they come into a room and they're used to the microphones and the cameras and everything. But, you know, we, today we got an opportunity to talk about sports in high school like flag football, which is a very up-and-coming sport here by, locally, by the way. A lot of schools dedicating a lot of resources to that. Beach volleyball. I talked to Atlantic Coast. They have 18 players on their beach volleyball team. You know, from weightlifting to tennis to softball, obviously baseball. A lot of very cool sports going on. We dedicate a lot of time to football, certainly basketball as well. But there are a lot of athletes in high school uh, athletics that really deserve recognition. And the good folks at High School 912 uh, provide that for days like today. So it was nice to be a part of. And again, I was out there and we'll post video of that on our 1010XL social media platforms in the next day or so. It's all about the Jaguars right now, though. Again, the franchise tag window has opened. It'll run from now through March 5th. We are 20 days away from NFL free agency. We're getting into the heart of the offseason. And with that, let's do a little Jaguar offseason outlook. Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report. He's a number guy. He's an analytics guy. He's a decimal point guy. This guy tweets out stuff that I think is mind-blowing, just some of the numbers he has on some of these Jaguar players. I find it very interesting. I think you will as well. Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report now here on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And we are now inside of three weeks until NFL free agency, Monday, March the 11th. And in fact, the franchise tag window has officially opened up as of today. So the NFL offseason in full swing. Of course, the NFL scouting combine is next week up in Indianapolis. With all that being said, Daniel Griffiths is a Florida graduate, and he's covered the Jaguars for many different outlets, including now working with our buddy John Shipley over at Jaguar Report, and Daniel joins us here on 1010XL. Daniel, how you doing? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, Daniel, we appreciate it, man. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I log on Twitter or X all the time, and I always see you and it's like every hour you're putting out something with draft content or free agent content. I mean, you literally eat, sleep, and breathe the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I I, uh, I noticed that there was a, a 
possible need for for some data to be putting out there for the for the Jaguars. I know some other teams have some people that that uh, that's their forte, and I wanted to kind of adopt that, um, create a niche for myself. I went to school at Florida for for sports journalism, and I specifically focused in data journalism. So I wanted to bring that aspect of of what I did at UF uh, to the Jaguars, and and give fans a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, with their players and, and prospective players, it gives fans a, an easier digestible uh, opportunity to to figure out what these players can do uh, without you know having to go through and, and watching uh, all the film themselves or or listening or or reading about the the players from different outlets. So that, that's kind of my uh, my goal to do just to create uh, create as much content and, and inform fans with, with the data that uh, that I can provide to them. It got my attention, Daniel. I think you do a great job at it. And I wanted to have you on to kind of give an off-season outlook for the Jaguars. But, but quickly, let's go back before we look forward. It's been over six weeks now since the collapse, as it's been referred to, I guess, losing five out of six. It doesn't make it any easier, right, that it's been six weeks plus, but when you think back to losing five of those last six games, I mean, it's remarkable that the Jaguars, only the sixth team since the year 2000 to begin eight and three and to flat out miss the postseason. Yeah, it's tough. I think I think it comes down to obviously the injuries to Trevor Lawrence don't help. Uh, Tyson Campbell wasn't uh, wasn't nearly the same player he was. Injuries, you know, part of that as well. Uh, but the the injuries and the collapse of the defense and the run game, uh, the run game especially, it, it, I think it really hindered what Press Taylor, the offense, and Trevor Lawrence could do. Um, there's still criticism to to go around outside of just that, but uh, you know, and you, and you had Christian Kirk go down with that groin injury or or core injury uh, against uh, the Bengals as well, and and the offense, the passing attack uh, with the injury to Trevor Lawrence and to Christian Kirk kind of. Uh, took a downward spiral there at the end of the season as well. Um, they they replaced uh, defensive coordinator with Ryan Nielsen. Um, sounds like tackling and turnovers are, are going to be a, a huge thing and uh, the focus of the defense going forward. So hopefully that can mitigate that. And uh, I think the Jaguars obviously need to look at some offensive uh, line pieces going forward in free agency in the draft. Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Quickly, Daniel, Mike Caldwell out. Ryan Nielsen and do you like the move at defensive coordinator? Yeah, I, I'm curious how it's going to turn out for the Jaguars uh, initially. I know the Jaguars previously have been a zone-heavy team. Uh, Ryan Nielsen predominantly has run man-heavy stuff, uh, so we'll see how that correlates with the Jaguars. Uh, the Jaguars players, Tyson Campbell's historically been better zone player, but uh, it's an exciting opportunity for for him as well as some of the the younger guys to get a different look, and, and maybe some of them. Uh, come out next year and blossom in the, in the new scheme. Now, you know, doing what I do every night here on 1010XL, <clears throat> I'm not an analytics guy. I really love the guys at PFF. I have pro football focus guys on all the time. But in seeing you, Daniel, and what you've been doing on social media, you mentioned it a little earlier, the data point of view. You're using a lot of numbers, right, a lot of decimal points. Do you consider yourself kind of the analytics guy when it comes to covering the Jaguars? Um, if I'm not, I, you know, there's Gus Logue is, is another really good guy. Uh, Shipley and, and Harvey and DeLugo also post numbers fairly often. Um, so I, I don't, uh, I don't want to consider my guy, my, myself the guy, but I, I definitely try to post as much Jaguar data content as I can. And, uh, 
I also, you know, reference those guys sometimes in in my articles or my tweets, and they, they post really good stuff as well. Again, Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report. With that as a backdrop, let's do the blueprint on the Jaguar offseason. I guess it all begins, right, with Josh Allen. Um, he's going to be a Jaguar. I don't think there's any debating that. The question is, will it get sticky between he and the organization when they figure out this contract situation? I wish I wish that they were a little further along. I would have liked Allen to, to already have been signed, and, and you could use that tag on Calvin Ridley. I think that, that gives you a little more options heading into free agency. Obviously, that hasn't happened. It sounds like they're going to use the tag on Josh Allen, and that kind of gives you – Calvin Ridley is kind of up in the air. Um, I personally would like them to re-sign him um, or, or sign him after, after the uh, the new year. You get, get rid of the third instead of the second, but – I just don't know if you can let him go without – you're creating more holes on a team that already has holes, and I don't know how much they can afford to do that. But Joe needs to be a player that, that's here for through the end of the decade. He's, uh, he's, he's one of the best players that this franchise has ever had, and, and he uh, deserves to stay. He's got the play, the, the play to back it up. Don't get me wrong. I think Josh Allen's great, and I want him as a Jaguar. He was arguably the MVP of the entire team in 2023 but does it give you any pause at all like it does me that in 2020 2021 and 2022 those three years albeit one of them there were a lot of injuries for Josh Allen but in those three years Daniel he combined for 17 and a half sacks and in 2023 his contract year he equaled what he did the previous three seasons is that a red flag at all uh I don't I don't think so uh, as much as the analytics on that may may point. I, I think he's been a really, really solid player the entire length of his contract. Um, I think part of it probably has to do with the fact that we, we haven't really had much help around him on the defensive line. Um, you know, this year, you may look at a guy like Trayvon Walker had a fantastic year, 10 sacks. Uh, but I think him, him and Walker, Allen and Walker, both helped themselves out on the, the different edges. I know Walker had a high uh, double team rate this year. Uh, one of the highest in the NFL. I think it dropped off at the end of the year, but uh, he gave he gave Allen a lot of opportunities as well, and and vice versa. Well, the thing with Trayvon Walker, and I've tried to bring that up over the last six weeks. Look, it's all been basically doom and gloom, the the collapse at the end of the year. But if there were some positives to me at the end of the year, boy, it looked like Trayvon Walker kind of found himself a little bit in getting to that double digit sack mark. Yeah, I, I believe he had 59 pressures uh, per PFF this year. Last year, he had 36, so that's a significant increase. You know, you look at the sacks as well. I think last year he had three and a half. This past year, he had 10. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at him as a guy similar to Rashawn Gary from Green Bay, similar athletic molds. They're both like 9'9-plus RAS, really athletic uh, players who, who struggled initially on in their NFL career. And I'm hoping Rashawn Gary can take that next step. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Trayvon Walker can take that next step like Rash, uh, Rashawn Gary did in Green Bay. Now, when you say RAS, just for the people that don't know, what does that mean? Uh, relative athletic score, it's a percentile uh, number that uh, Kent Lee Platt uh, developed to gauge each player's athletic testing at each uh, each number. So, you get a percentile for height, weight, 40-yard dash, uh, vertical jump, and then that all goes together, and it's on a scale from 0 to 10, 10 being you're the most athletic player at your position, 0 being you're the worst athlete at your position. Uh, and Trayvon Walker scored a 999. Wow. Um, and so I, he's, 
I would probably be ever. a uh, I would be the zero at ten ten XL. I think in the RAS or at least one of them, no question about it. But that's why we love the numbers. Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report here with us on ten ten XL. Trayvon Walker, you mentioned the athleticism. I love it. I think the sky is the limit for him, particularly if Josh Allen is still here in Duval County. Let's go to Calvin Ridley, and I know you gave your thoughts on him earlier. Do you believe that the Jaguars saw enough? Did you see enough to give Calvin Ridley big money this offseason? Uh, I don't know about big money. Um, maybe you look at something like an incentive base. I, w- I would look at like a two, three-year deal, something like that. Uh, you also have to consider that he hasn't played in a while, one. Uh, and two, the offense in general didn't really have a good year, so it's kind of hard to expect your big stars to. Uh, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence had a statistical down year from last year. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, he's, he's part of a system that, uh, started out decently well, but you, you saw glimpses of him being, you know, the Calvin Ridley that we saw in, in Atlanta before his, uh, his injuries and his, his time away from the game. Um, he had some really, really good years or games, and then he had some really down games. It was kind of a roller coaster season for him. He'd have a 120 yard game and then he have a 30 yard game. So I think the uh, the consistency there is something that uh, the Jaguars need to look at. Uh, but I, I I think that you know it's really hard to get really good receivers. He had a thousand yards. He had eight touchdowns. Uh, there was only I believe ten receivers to do those. Um, so I, I think that the potential is definitely there. You get Trevor Lawrence in the offense and the run game back on track, and I think he could have a big year in 24. Yeah, the scary thing about that, though, if they franchise Josh Allen and Ridley hits the market on March 11th, somebody may come in with big money that who knows if the Jaguars could match because the rumor is Pittman's going to get franchised in Indy. T. Higgins is going to get franchised in Cincinnati. The wide receiver market is going to drastically dry up. And to me, Daniel, and tell me what you think, I think we're going to know pretty soon what their thoughts are about Ridley's future because one of the guys that you hear may be a cap casualty is Zay Jones. Now, to me, I don't think you cut Zay Jones if you believe Calvin Ridley's out the door. If you believe you can re-sign Ridley and he's in your future plans, then maybe it's more likely that Zay has shown the door himself. Yeah, you absolutely cannot lose both. Uh, you cannot go into 2024 with Christian Kirk and Parker Washington as your receivers. And and another player that they've talked about being a cap casualty is Jamal Agnew. And I don't think Jamal Agnew is uh, – I would, I would hope that they – don't view him long-term as a receiver, but you know, he still gives you, he's a roster, he's a rostered receiver. And if you lose Ridley, Zay, and possibly Agnew, you cannot walk into 24 with just Parker Washington and Christian Kirk. That's a recipe for disaster, especially on a, on an offense that already uh, underperformed in 23. Final moments, Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar report. Some of the other free agents, Daniel, we spent a lot of time with Allen and Ridley you mentioned Agnew. He's a free agent. We'll see what the market is for him. I guess Ezra Cleveland, although he only played, what, half a year here in Jacksonville, if that, he is probably number three on the list, right, for most important in-house free agents. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one. I, I didn't – they had him for, for a bit there. The offense kind of still struggled, especially in the back half of the year. Um I think that's a that's a player that the Jaguars front office is really going to have to do a deep dive in and figure out, OK, uh, how much of the, the offense's uh, run blocking and pass blocking uh, was either helped or or uh, hurt by by Ezra Cleveland replacing Ben Barch in, in uh, 
as well as getting some time from from some other players that uh, that were struggling. I know him and Walker Little were going back and forth at, at left guard. Um, it's going to be tough. You don't want to create more holes, especially on an offensive line that already struggled last year. But uh, maybe maybe they like some other guys in free agency. You don't want to create more holes, and that leads me to Cam Robinson, a great player, maybe the best offensive lineman the Jaguars had in 2023, but his cap number is enormous. Now, you could save a lot of money by releasing him, or there are ways to finagle the cap, as we saw Trent Baalke do last year, but what is your thought about Cam Robinson? And that same token, Brandon Sheriff is another guy, Daniel, that we hear could be a cap casualty. I think if you're going to try to look at replacing one of those two guys, you have to have a plan. You can't you can't just nonsensically cut those players uh, and then create big holes at left tackle and right guard when you've already got a struggling uh, struggling offensive line. You you need to target some players, whether it's in free agency or the draft, and have a plan on how to replace those because uh, you cannot. Wa- I don't I don't really want to walk into 2024 with a, a rookie left tackle or you know, a guy that maybe uh, maybe hasn't been as productive or, or giving you the stability that Cam Robinson has, even though he's faced injuries and suspension. But, uh, I mean, he's been – say what you want about Cam Robinson, but he's been a really solid player for Jacksonville when he has been on the field. Um, he's had his struggles, but he's he's overall been been a decent player. If opening day 2024, Anton Harrison was the starting left tackle, Walker Little was the starting right tackle, what would your thoughts be? I wouldn't hate it. Um, you know, you, you lose, you lose having Walker Little as your swing tackle. They'd have to, they'd have to find a replacement there. Um, Jaguars haven't had the best of luck injury wise on the offensive line, especially at tackle the last few years. Walker Little's had to play a decent amount of time. Um, so that would scare me, but, uh, I, I'd probably, I'd probably rather see the block Walker Little left tackle and keep Anton at right. He was, he was one of, uh, the best right tackles pass blocking, uh, last year in the NFL. I agree. Anton Harrison had a great year, and I just wonder uh, if Cam Robinson is shown the door. And again, we don't know, but that'd be like a $17 million savings. Would they be interested in moving Anton over, who's still on a rookie deal, would be very, very cheap for a very good starting left tackle in the National Football League. Daniel, three weeks away from free agency. We're going to know a lot about the Jaguar plans prior to that. As far as guys that may be cap casualties, we mentioned Brandon Sheriff, we mentioned Cam Robinson, Zay Jones, other names you hear, Rayshon Jenkins, potentially Foley Fadakasi. How active do you think the Jaguars will be in releasing some of these guys? Yeah, the one, the one that I wouldn't touch is Foyer. I, I would leave. I, I wouldn't touch Foyer. Um, I think he's one of, aside from Josh Allen, I think he's the best player on the, on the defense. So I wouldn't touch that one. Uh, Fatu Kasi, I've kind of been disappointed by uh, some of the guys on the defensive line. Uh, it's a decent defensive line uh, draft class. Um, you know, maybe if you move, move on from Fatu Kasi, you can, you can look at some guys in, in the free agency or the NFL draft. Um, the two boys at Texas are pretty good. Uh, uh Byron Murphy, the second, and uh, Tavondre Sweat, but uh, I, Fatu Kasi is a guy that I probably would move on from. I don't know too much uh, about releasing some of the other guys. Uh, Rayshon Jenkins, I think, is going to go. It looks like it sounds like the Jaguars really like Anton uh, Antonio Johnson. He may slide into strong safety, and you may see Jenkins out the door. Uh, then you have to look at some some uh, nickel help. Uh, you've you've still got. 
uh, Trey Herndon there, but uh, then you're you're looking at uh, getting some youth at corner as well. You know, they've talked about Darius Williams, um, and the Jaguars need corner help anyways. But uh, Fatukasi and Jenkins, I, I think, uh, are two guys that that I would look at getting uh, getting rid of. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Trey Herndon, he's also an unrestricted free agent, so the Jaguars are going to have to figure that out in less than three weeks' time. All right, Daniel, Jaguar report. Tell people what they can expect when they head on over there and uh, what you bring to the table as far as the number crunching and the analytics side of things. Yeah, I just try to give some players uh, players their due. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of players on the Jaguars that performed really well, as well as give some fans uh, an idea of what parts of the offense or defense are working really well and, and where maybe there's some struggles. Uh, you know, fans look at the they watch the game and they think, man, we're really bad at running the ball in short yardage situations. Okay, how exactly bad are we doing? Or, uh, you know, guy like Darius Williams performing really, really well. Looks like he's getting a lot of PBUs. Okay, how how often is he getting his hands on the ball? Uh, so just giving giving some fans uh, the ability to support their narratives or uh, you know destroy some narratives or, or give further insight into situations. And it's not it's not something that's you know, you can look at and just be like, okay, this is the deciding factor, you know, end all be all it's, there's always context to everything. Um, you know, it's a complex game and, and nothing can be broken down to a single number. And that's something that I know, and I want to, to keep people aware of, but, uh, you know, using data to create stories, there's a lot of data out there to be had that's public. Um, you know, some of it's not like PFF, but, uh, there's a lot of public data, that the NFL has about it, and, and you can definitely create some stories and get some uh, get some interesting uh, ideas out there for for fans and, and uh, try to tackle some narratives. Your stuff got my attention. There's no question about it, man. I think you're doing a great job, and I appreciate you coming on. Let's do this a little more often. Daniel Griffiths of Jaguar Report. Daniel, appreciate the time. Let's do it again maybe the week of free agency, and we'll see how active or inactive the Jaguars were at that point. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been awesome. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. We'll switch gears. A little college athletics coming up in just a bit. I do want to get the Gator basketball. It was a big win on Saturday. Florida now ranked in the top 25. Todd Golden doing some things. Look, I was never necessarily pro Todd Golden as much as I was anti-Mike White. But Todd Golden has beat Mike White now four consecutive times. And in fact, Florida has now beat Georgia, at least in basketball, 10 consecutive times. So we'll get to Little Gator basketball in just a moment. I did want to point this out because it's worth reminding people, and myself, quite frankly, because free agency is only 20 days away We spend so much time talking about the Jaguars and what they're going to do with Josh Allen and what they're going to do with Calvin Ridley. There are a lot of other guys the Jaguars have to decide about that are going to hit the market on Monday, March 11th. After Allen and Ridley, the biggest guy is probably Ezra Cleveland, which is ironic because he only spent half a year here in Jacksonville. But are they going to give Ezra Cleveland big money to to remain here as one of the starting offensive linemen for this organization. After that, Jamal Agnew. I'm a fan of Jamal Agnew. I know he's a fan favorite. I know you guys, most of you love him. I would be surprised, actually, if Jamal Agnew's back. To me, they drafted his replacement last year in Parker Washington. 
why draft Parker Washington, who has experience on special teams, if Jamal Agnew was in your future plans? So I, I don't know. I would tend to bet that Jamal Agnew has probably played his final game as a Jaguar. And then you got guys like Dewan Smoot, right? What do you do with Dewan Smoot? What do you do with Trey Herndon? Uh, I'd be willing to bet as well. Caleb on chase on has played his final game in Jacksonville. Brandon McManus. You bring him back as the kicker. Dearness Johnson. Angelo Blackson was a guy that was brought in at the end of training camp last year on the D line. Thought he played reasonably well. Shaq Quarterman at linebacker, a local product out of Oakleaf. Daniel Thomas, big time special teams player. So Point is, you know, we spend so much time again on Allen and Ridley. The Jaguars have 13 additional unrestricted free agents that are going to hit the market in 20 days. Also, you're starting to see some teams around the league cut some guys. Tracy Walker got cut earlier today in Detroit. Last week, we saw Eddie Jackson and um, one of the offensive linemen, Whitehair, I believe, for Chicago get cut. Pittsburgh has cut Mitch Trubisky and a couple of other guys. So those will start trickling in as we get closer to March 11th. Nothing here in Jacksonville yet, but keep an eye out for Cam Robinson, right? They can save $17 million if they cut Cam Robinson. Are they going to choose to do that? I saw Pro Football Focus earlier today had Zay Jones as a prime guy to get cut for cap purposes. As I talked about with Daniel Griffiths earlier, I think you're going to know an awful lot about what the Jaguars feel the future of Calvin Ridley is in Duval County by what happens with Zay Jones. If they cut Zay Jones in the next three weeks, you would think they probably feel pretty good about Ridley being on the team. If you don't cut Zay Jones, maybe you don't feel as good about Ridley returning. Because I cannot imagine a scenario where they cut Zay Jones and lose Calvin Ridley. Then you got problems. Then you absolutely have to address wide receiver in free agency, if not the draft, very high in the draft. I just can't imagine a scenario where if you believe you're going to lose Ridley, why you would cut Zay Jones. You're going to have to keep at least one of them. I would like to keep both of them. I think it would be great if they both came back. But you absolutely need one of them to come back. No question about it. Again, other franchise tag candidates that will affect Jacksonville. We know about Josh Allen. Keep your eye on Indianapolis with Michael Pittman Jr. Keep your eye on Cincinnati with T. Higgins. Why does that matter? Well, a couple of things. Number one, I know a lot of you want T. Higgins to be a Jaguar. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Cincinnati's going to franchise him. And if they franchise Higgins and Cincy, and if they franchise Pittman in Indianapolis, that means Calvin Ridley's value is going up and up and up. That receiver market's going to dry up pretty quick if Pittman and Higgins don't hit the market, which means big-time paydays more than likely for guys like Calvin Ridley, a guy like Mike Evans in Tampa. So... What Indy and Cincy do with their tags could potentially affect what Jacksonville is going to do. And Denmark, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. This was puzzling to me. Adam Schefter and a lot of the national guys 
they do a great job, don't get me wrong. But it was like breaking news. The Jaguars could lose a second-round pick if they re-sign Ridley before March 11th. Why is that breaking news? Because it's news to them. We've been talking about that for weeks and weeks and months and months, and yet Schefter and Rappaport and all these guys are making this pro football talk, are making this enormous deal out of the Jaguars' quandary, is what they were calling it, with Calvin Ridley. Are we really that off the radar that they literally do not care about us until they have to report something about Jacksonville? I think the only reason why it became a topic was because remember Adam Schefter came out with this list of like all the top guys for Jackson or not Jacksonville, but every team. And for the Jags, he put Josh Allen and he didn't put Calvin Ridley. And maybe he got some comments on Calvin Ridley. And then he probably after the after the fact like tweeted out the whole situation with Calvin Ridley, like that'd be my only reason why. But that was, that was kind of strange. I thought it was pretty funny too that you know everybody made this massive deal. It's like yeah, we kind of knew about that. Yeah, I mean we've been talking about it every night here, and every show on Ten Ten XL has been talking about it. I just kind of got caught off guard as to why that became such a big story. This past weekend, obviously a lot more on the Jaguars, a lot more leading in to free agency, former Jaguar tight end Clay Harbor scheduled to join us tomorrow night. Looking forward to that conversation with the former Jaguar tight end. And we'll have a lot of guys on over the coming days and weeks. Again, 20 days away until NFL free agency. I did want to spend a moment on Gator basketball. Again, a big win over the Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday, Florida now other than completely blowing the Texas A&M game, which is what they did, they blew that game, losing by a point in College Station, they've won like six out of seven. They're now 18-7 and seven overall. They're 8-4 and four in the Southeastern Conference. Gator basketball is playing the best ball they've played in, what, three, four years minimum? They're a fun team to watch. You know, what they lack in the transfer portal in football – because they have not done a good job in the portal in football compared to some of their rivals. Well, they've cleaned up in the transfer portal in basketball. Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton, that is one of the best guard combos the Gators have had in a long time. A long time. I saw Frangie over the weekend was doing a little comparing between them and say the days of Craig Brown and Dan Cross with the 94 Final Four team. Um... You know, Torian Green and, and Lee Humphrey, I guess, they're the icons when it comes to guard play uh, because of the back-to-back titles. But, man, Pullen and Clayton are really fun to watch. Florida's big. They got four legit big men in Condon and Howe, the freshmen, and then the transfers in um, Hanlockton and, and Samuel. And, obviously, the two veterans, if you will, right, Riley Kugel and Will Richard, it is a fun team to watch, and it's a team that's getting hot at the right time. They struggled early in the year. They struggled a little bit towards the middle of the year, but, man, they have found themselves, and I'm very curious about Florida and Alabama tomorrow. Big-time game. Now, look, the percentages are in Alabama's favor. At some point, Florida's hot streak's going to run out. They're on the road again playing Alabama. It's a tough game. 
We're going to have Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks on prior to tip-off tomorrow night to preview Florida and Alabama. If I were a betting man, I would say Alabama's going to win the game tomorrow. But good grief, if Florida goes in there and wins, it'd be one of the hottest streaks Florida has had in a long, long time. Give Todd Golden credit. I was critical of him, Gator basketball fans. Some of you probably were as well. But they have certainly come on very, very strong over the last couple of weeks, and they are a lot of fun to watch. And they got a big one tomorrow night against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Let's talk a little college athletics, a little Gator basketball. Let's talk a little Gator football as well. Did you see this? ESPN.com released their way-too-early top 25 rankings heading into 2024. Florida plays nine of those 25. Nine of them are on the Gator schedule. Absolutely ridiculous. We'll also talk a little Florida State. Did you see Andy Staples tweet yesterday? Florida State might have found a way out of the ACC. That's picking up steam, man. That's picking up a lot of steam. Florida State's going to leave that conference. I don't think it's a matter of if at this point. It's a matter of when, and it may be sooner rather than later. Let's get into all that with my buddy Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Brent Beard next with you on a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The end of February, approaching upon the beginning of March, means spring football. In fact, some areas of the country, spring football will begin in the next week or two. The NFL scouting combine up in Indianapolis next week as the news cycle for both college and the NFL simply never ends. With that, we welcome in my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing okay. It's Still a lot going on, and uh, uh, normally we, we would have very little going on this time of year, but that is certainly not the case. And before we really are able to uh, uh, forget, well, we've got spring practice coming up sooner than later, so uh, that that's going to be fun too. Brent, you know, a lot of draft talk going on this time of year, and I'm, I just want to ask you, and we'll get more into this as the weeks go on here, all the Caleb Williams hype. I mean, you watched him at Oklahoma and at Southern Cal for Lincoln Riley. Do you buy into all this Caleb Williams hype right now? No, I I, I really don't. Uh, I, look, I, I think he is a – I think he's a fine quarterback. I think he did a tremendous job. Uh, but um, I, I, I think I'm more down on their team than I am him. Uh, frankly, they just couldn't stop anybody. And and and, and I've said this before, and it bears repeating. Uh, until Riley decides defense is important, it's not going to make any difference for them because they're going to be a uh, what eight and four, seven and five team uh, because of that. And uh, I think Caleb did all he could, hack, uh, but there's only frankly so much he can do. So. Uh, I mean, he's a good quarterback, yes. I mean, would I throw all, 
when, when I throw all my eggs in his basket, I, I would say no. Yeah, all the Caleb Williams talk. Of course, Drake May at North Carolina. Jaden Daniels at LSU starting to get a lot of love. And now that we're on Southern Cal, let's start there. ESPN.com every time uh, this time of year, every year, right about now, late February, early March, starts talking about pressure, who's under the most pressure as the college football season approaches. And they flat out brought up Lincoln Riley. Now, Billy Napier is on that list as well, and we'll get to him in a moment. But do you think Lincoln Riley is in any danger there at USC? I think the only danger he's in would be uh, if he if he continues to stay stubborn and not do anything on that other side of the ball. And that That's the problem that he's going to have. Now, with them going to the Big Ten uh, and playing better competition, uh, is that going to push more pressure on him? I, it probably would. Now, I don't think there's any way that, that – even if they're six and six this year, that they're going to fire him. Uh, but uh, the that's the that's the two dangerous spots uh, is creating a competitive defense, and can they weigh that uh, Big Ten schedule uh, when it becomes? Uh, I, I mean, if they get uh, that top tier of the Big Ten, and they've got three or four of those teams in a row, Hank, that's going to be a problem for him. It will be. It's going to be a tough schedule, there's no doubt. You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. And on that list, Brent, coaches under the most pressure entering 2024, Lincoln Riley was on there. James Franklin of Penn State was on there. Kalen DeBoer, who hasn't even coached a quarter yet as the Alabama head coach is on there. And, of course, Billy Napier. Before we get to Napier, surprised that ESPN thinks Franklin and Happy Valley and DeBoer and Tuscaloosa have pressure on them coming into this year? Well, anybody replacing Nick Saban is going to have a certain amount of pressure, but uh, DeBoer would get plenty of time, I believe, to uh, – uh, and I don't know if anyone say right the ship. Uh, the, I think the thing that helps him is – I mean, there's a learning curve every time you join the SEC. So, uh, I mean, even if they're nine and three or ten and two, they still very well may be in the uh, uh, in the playoffs. J- James Franklin, I, I, I totally agree with. Uh, the problem is, I, 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 listen, Hank Franklin was more effective to me at Vanderbilt than he has been at Penn State. I mean, he's done very little at Penn State. Uh, his record against uh, the top-tier teams, uh, frankly, in the Big Ten is not impressive at all. Uh, so I can frankly see that. Now, he got a basically a lifetime contract, so I don't think he's going anywhere uh, anytime soon. But the pressure for him is, at some point, uh, do you win a uh, championship game which he, uh, which he really hasn't done, um, uh, or do you just kind of be uh, and and I don't, the word uh, the word is not mediocre, but you can basically predict what they're going to be every year. Uh, so I can understand some pressure being on Franklin. And and look, obviously Lincoln Riley, James Franklin, Kalen DeBoer, I don't think are on hot seats. Riley maybe, but I, I agree with you. I would be shocked. If anything, barring a catastrophe, he's he's gone. 
Billy Napier's on the list of pressure with, with head coaches, and I firmly believe he is on the hot seat entering 2024. And the ironic thing, Brent, is in the same token, coaches with the most pressure, ESPN.com also came out last week with their way-too-early top 25 after the transfer portal nonsense and has slowed down a little bit. And Florida plays nine. That's nine. Ferris Bueller, nine times. Nine of those top 25 teams. Boy, not only is the hot seat hot, not only is the pressure mounting, the schedule for Florida, and we'll talk about this all offseason, is absolutely brutal. It, uh, it is, and I've seen tweets uh, suggesting the schedule may be the, the hardest schedule that any team's ever had to play. Uh, now, that certainly is debatable, but here's the reality of it. In uh, in the beginning of this schedule is going to be crucial. They They've got Miami – that's a game that they can win because people need to understand Miami's got as big a rebuilding job as Florida. Samford, they'll be A&M, even with Connor Wheatman back um, uh, in my Elko. Uh, I still think Florida could be, that they could win that game. They certainly could beat Mississippi State. They certainly can beat uh, UCF. Um, uh, with uh, Gus, who is every year eight and four, is his average. So your reality for this is, I mean, heck, they, no, look, I'm not getting people's hopes up here. I'm just being realistic. If they've got, uh, if their defense is better, we know the quarterback's going to be better. And if the offensive line is better, uh, I mean, out of that, one, two, three, four, five, uh, I mean, they could be four and one. Uh, or or if they have some good fortune, even five and oh. But the problem is on the middle of the back end of it, obviously with Tennessee, uh, Kentucky is a game that I think they are due to win. Uh, and that may have you at, at five or six. But, man, after you get to Georgia, LSU, uh, Ole Miss, and Florida State, uh, heck, uh, there's just no guarantees on that group at all, are they? Yeah, you know who you forgot? Texas is also mm-hmm. on there as well. It is absolutely yeah, well, uh, ridiculous. Right. Yes. Ridiculous after the cocktail party. Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, two years into his tenure – Mike Norvell had the hottest seat in America entering year three. He turned it around, and we know what Mike Norvell is doing now. Is there a hotter seat in America, SEC or anywhere for that matter, coming into 2024 than Billy Napier? Uh, at this point, there may not be. Uh, but they, they look, even if they are, or if they, even if they're six and six, what Gator fans want to see is, and I've heard this at the gym, at church, at the grocery store, everywhere I go, and I know you have too, is I just want them to look better and I want them to coach better and not make the mistakes uh, that they did last year. And some of them, let's be honest, were uh, dumb mistakes, uh, particularly on special teams. So, yeah, yes, I would agree with that. Uh, and, look, I, I think you and I have talked about this before. If they have a – uh, hey, unfortunately, I don't think they would do it, 
But the pre- look, if, if they're a disaster by the time that they get to uh, uh, Halloween, um, I, I really wonder if at that point they may think that they don't have a choice. Uh, and, and I know I like Napier. I hope he succeeds uh, and they can't continue to get coaches every three years. But I'm just throwing that out as uh, when you, after what you had last year, uh, he really has no guarantees at all. The reality is ESPN.com, that way too early preseason top 25, 10 SEC teams were on that thing. Florida was not among the 10. And that is the reality of where Florida is entering 2024. Florida State's reality is there's still a lot of high expectations. Now, Florida State is losing a ton off of last year's team. Maybe the expectations aren't as high this year as they were last year. Mike Norvell is going to earn that contract extension that he got because he's got to replace a lot of guys. But, Brent, first and foremost, before we even get to on the field, Andy Staples, well-respected college football writer, tweeted something earlier this week about the realignment and the uh, conference expansion could start heating up again as Florida State thinks they may have found a way to finagle themselves out of the ACC. Staples basically said, uh, without getting to the legalese of it, um, uh, generally uh, he he said that uh, he thought that the ACC has allowed, and, and their response to the lawsuit that the ACC has left Florida State uh, with a bit of a loophole. Uh, and again, the thing that you're seeing is uh, the, the fact of uh, this, in order to get out of the ACC, uh, the attorneys involved with this from Florida State have drilled down enough to where they have figured out that they could probably, uh, um, uh, they thought they were going to have to pay about $500 million. The exit fee is 125, but when they threw everything together, that, that that's what they came up with. Now, what Andy is is saying is they think that, uh, and I think they've been trying to negotiate this thing all along, uh, but that may be at the point where the ACC is really willing to negotiate this. Now, now what would the figure be? How soon would it take? Uh, we certainly don't know, but but that's that's kind of what Andy is saying. Is the ACC opened the door Friday afternoon uh, as far as uh, realignment is concerned, uh, and and I think that's something that Florida State needs to take some real hope in uh, to, to see where that's going to go. Uh, so that's the reason we bring that up uh, is. And again, if they get out, their brethren there are going to get out. Had this discussion on, on on another program earlier today. Is um, if if they're able to negotiate their way out of this, uh, they will be in. I still think they're going to the Big Ten. I mean that that's what I hear. So uh, in order to have a win-win here, the ACC would get their money. Florida State, look. I don't care if even let, – let's just say Florida State paid the entire 
500 million. Heck, wherever they go, if it's the if it's the Big Ten or the uh, the SEC, they're going to make about seriously 30 to 40 uh, million more dollars a year from being in one of those conferences. <laughs> I know it would take some time, but if, but if they're in the Big Ten or the SEC, you you could make that money up in a in, in what I would say would be a reasonable amount of time. Brent Beard here with us. Brent, as we make the turn for home, I want to get to an interesting article that was in your notes from Dennis Dodd earlier this week. Before we get there, do you believe we're past the point of no return for Florida State? It's not a matter of if they leave the ACC. It's simply a matter of when they leave the ACC. The only thing I think right now that would keep them in the ACC would be if there's a drastically different financial structure to where financial FSU would get considerably more money than what they're getting now. I mean, they, they've done the math like you and I and everybody else has to know that if, if you stay in the ACC, there's only – you'll get a lot of money, but it pales in comparison to the money you're going to get every year uh, with the Big Ten and the SEC, so uh, it, it I'm I'm not I'm I'm not real sure right now that the ACC could come up with enough money for them to remain. I mean, any, uh, it, look, any, anything can happen here. And the other thing is, if, if Ford State wants to leave, they've got to let the ACC know by this summer. So they, these next few months are going to be incredibly important for uh, Florida State. And, and, and heck, if, if, they're, if they're leaving and then you've got an agreement with the ACC, the sooner they can get that on the table and get it done, the better. Yeah, Florida State's been a member of that conference for 33 years. That's right. And it looks Amazing. like it could be coming to an end. Brent, leave us with this. You know, everybody talks about offense, 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 the great offenses in college football. Dennis Dodd had an interesting article on uh, CBSSports.com about some of the scoring last year in the game that we love. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. Um, average scoring, uh, it's down to 27 points a game, the lowest since 2009. Total offense was down for the fifth consecutive year, uh, lowest since 2010. Uh, average yards passing. Uh, was lowest since 2010. Uh, so, the uh, and what he goes into detail about is why is this going on? Well, number one, they're because of the rules. Pickle first down. Uh, remember that the clock continues to run. That uh, we've lost a handful of plays, but even those handful of plays can make differences. But what he also says. And I think this really rings true also. Elite defensive linemen have become more important, and offensive linemen are losing that battle in the trenches. That, that's interesting. And the other thing he says is defenses are getting smarter and more varied. So, um, now, we've also had the rules that have been changed uh, with for his penalties 
that have really favored the offense uh, over the last few years. But, heck, isn't that fascinating, though, to really kind of look uh, and see? And, and guys who follow football, as long as you and I have, well, which has been several decades, we both know and we've had coaches tell us there really is nothing new under the sun. Uh, it is uh, cyclical, and that's kind of what we're seeing again. Uh, and, uh, and this is not because team, but we've had 20 more teams start running the wishbone. Uh, the, the, that's not it. And look, uh, for the first time in, in who knows when, we had a team in Michigan that basically won the national championship because of their defense and running the ball. So uh, it, it, the, uh, as you follow these things, uh, it's surprising, but yet truly, Hack, uh, when you follow it over the years, it's not that surprising, is it? No, it's not, and I like it. You know, I like offense, don't get me wrong. I like scoring and seeing points on the board, but there is something to be said for good quality defense. No and doubt. maybe we're getting that back a little bit in the game of college football. Mr. Brent Beard, you see him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, really appreciate you, my friend. Thank you as always, and we'll do it again soon. Look forward to it, pal. Take care. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason now officially underway. The Kansas City Chiefs are once again world champions. And the way the NFL calendar works, franchise tags can begin handing out next week, if you can believe that. So all eyes down here will be on Josh Allen. Of course, then we get to the Combine in Indianapolis, and we are 25 days away from NFL free agency. It will get here very, very quick. With all that, let's go to Justin Mello, the Draft Network. He also covers the Tennessee Titans for SB Nation, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Justin, how you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Uh, I mean, you summed it up nicely with scouting combines just really a couple days away. It feels like we're less than a month out from free agency. So the NFL calendar, if there's one thing they do well, certainly it's uh, always giving you something to talk about. You know, the, the, the Super Bowl is just in our rearview mirror. The Senior Bowl is just in our rearview mirror. And yet here we are moving forward to uh, the combine and free agency. Justin, I want to get to the draft with you. I certainly want to spend some time on the Jaguars and the rest of the AFC South, but you do a terrific job along with the Draft Network and covering the Tennessee Titans there for SB Nation, a couple of different outlets there. And and Brian Callahan, right, the brand-new head coach for the Titans, it's got a lot of attention down here. The last time we saw the Titans, it was Mike Vrabel giving the Jaguars the beating 39 days ago to knock us out of the playoffs. Two days after that, Vrabel gets fired, and in comes Brian Callahan, who's never had, obviously, head coaching experience. We look at that here, at least I do, and it was somewhat surprising. What was the reaction in Nashville? Well, I think the initial reaction in Nashville was largely surprising. I think the reaction everywhere uh, initially was one of surprise. And as we get further away from it, you know, as it tends to happen, you start receiving more information about what, uh, you know, potentially led to Vrabel's dismissal. And there were a ton of great pieces written, uh, The Athletic, uh, you, you name it, right? Uh, a ton of great pieces written on, on what transpired that led to Vrabel being fired. And it, it seems to be an alleged uh, power struggle, really, between him and the front office. 
Uh, you know, he had felt he had put himself in a position, you know, potentially over these last six years to gain increased control over the franchise and certainly its roster happenings as owner, whereas owner Amy Adams Strunk didn't feel um, that strongly about giving a head coach that type of control. It's not a model she's a fan of. She looks at the way the NFL is heading and she sees how collaborative models are sort of the new trend. Mike Rabel's not very collaborative. He's an alpha male, if you will, in the room. And he didn't, tip, you know, he didn't really get along with general manager Rand Carthon either, right? There was reports that when Rand was hired, um, his opinion that he wasn't ready for that job, Mike Rabel's was, and said, we should make him our number two. You know, the moment owner Amy Adams Strunk disagreed and made him the number one, you can almost say the clock began ticking, right? The disagreement started right there. And uh, it's tough to make those disagreements work while you're trying to swim in one direction. Essentially, Rand Carthon, I thought it was uh, almost an underhanded shot at Mike Vrabel when he hired Brian Callahan. He said uh, hunting together, sorry, going hunting at the same time is not the same as hunting together. And this organization is now hunting together. So uh, certainly uh, the, the disagreements between the front office ownership and Mike Vrabel is what led to his dismissal. Justin Mello of the Draft Network. I don't blame Tennessee for doing what they did, but I can tell you, Justin, Vrabel killed the Jaguars in like six years. Vrabel's sure record was unreal. <laughs> so we're not losing any sleep over the fact that Mike Vrabel is no longer the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. What has the thought been up there, obviously, early about Brian Callahan? Well, I don't blame you one bit, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that Mike Vrabel's a very good head coach, and I, I believe he'll work again in this league as a head coach, and t only time will tell if the Titans made the right decision or not. The early returns on Brian Callahan are promising. Look, uh, I've been around long enough to know we don't know how this is going to work out yet, right? Anytime you got a first-time head coach, he's also a first-time play caller. He's going to call the plays in Tennessee. He's never done that before. Um, we'll see how that all works out. But the early returns are one of excitement, and I can understand why the fan base is excited about this appointment. Number one, he is extremely different from Mike Vrabel in almost everything he does, not just from a philosophy, a philosophy, oh, his offensive philosophy is extremely different. He believes in throwing the football and throwing it a lot. Right. As you know, Mike Rabel wanted to pound the run game, right, with Derrick Henry. So not only is that very different um, for the Titans, but he's also a very different person. I mean, he uh, yesterday afternoon on uh, Tuesday or sorry, Wednesday, that was he introduced his coordinators to the media for the first time. So they got to meet offensive coordinator Nick Holtz and defensive coordinator Denard Wilson for the very first time after that conference concluded. Brian Callahan walked into the media room and just chopped it up with the local reporters for several minutes. I cannot tell you how different that is from Mike Rabel, who wouldn't spend one extra minute with those people than he had to. You know what I mean? Rabel's an old-school throwback guy. He wanted to keep the football team as far away from the media as possible. He was relentless in his belief that holding as much information close to your chest as possible gives you a competitive advantage. I hate to say it, it's a cliche, but call it that old New England style of football, right? The way the organization was run. Brian Callahan is night and day different. I know people that know Callahan uh, from his time in Cincinnati that would uh, immediately that would approach him and say, hey, why do you run this play the way you run it? 
and he would give you a full breakdown on why they believe that works. You could ask Brian Callahan, what do you think about Tajay Spears' fit in an outside zone running scheme? And he will give you an actual honest, long-winded answer on what he thinks about that fit. He is completely different from Mike Rabel in everything that he does, the way that he does it, and the way that he believes offensive football should be played. He said yesterday, uh, yeah, we'll take what the defense gives you on occasion, but we want to be an offense that dictates, okay? We want you to have to change the way you play defense. We don't want to change the way we play offense. Again, not something that Mike Rabel did a very good job of here these last couple of years. Titans haven't even scored 30 points in close to three, in about three seasons. So uh, definitely a change of philosophy on hand here for the Tennessee Titans. Justin, final thought on Tennessee, because I want to move on to Jacksonville and the rest of the division. Uh, the Titans have about a billion dollars to spend in free agency, very similar to what Jacksonville did two years ago where they signed Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones and, and on down the line. I mean, we should expect the Titans to be very active in three weeks, correct? Absolutely. I think you look at what Jacksonville did that offseason. Why did they do what they did? It was all about surrounding Trevor Lawrence um, with a supporting cast that he could be successful with, right? Well, the goal is about to be the same for Tennessee three weeks from now, and it's going to be about surrounding Will Levis with a supporting cast that he could be successful with. The offensive line has probably one returning starter, and that'll be sophomore first-round pick Peter Skaronsky. And they only have really one wide receiver they feel they can really count on in DeAndre Hopkins. So expect their strategy in free agency and the draft uh, to be offense-heavy. I expect they'll sign probably at least two starters on the offensive line. The new coaching staff has ties to a number of unrestricted free agents. That includes, of course, Jonah Williams from the Cincinnati Bengals, Andre James, the center from the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, Nick Harris, a center from the Cleveland Browns, Mike Onwenu, uh, a versatile guard slash tackle from the New England Patriots. There are members on this Titan staff, uh, this new staff, that have coached those guys. All of them are unrestricted free agents. They'd be instant starters for the Titans and go down the line at receiver, right? I don't expect T. Higgins to become a free agent, but if the uh, if the shocking development happens there, then they would certainly be in that mix. You know, Tyler Boyd is someone that will probably be leaving Cincinnati that Brian Callahan's familiar with. And we could go on and on down the line. There are a number of uh, offensive uh, sided uh, free agents that are about to be Tennessee Titans in a couple of weeks. Justin Mello, the Draft Network, also covers the Tennessee Titans for SB Nation. Justin, you saw the Titans collapse two years ago. They gave the Jaguars the AFC South. The exact same thing happened to the Jaguars this year, losing five out of six. Houston comes in and wins the division. From a guy like you that covers this division, how surprised were you at what happened here in Jacksonville over the last six weeks? You know, I'll be totally honest with you, and I'm not saying it because I cover the Titans. I was not that surprised. And you could go back to my offseason predictions article where I had actually said that Jacksonville struck me as a franchise that got a little too complacent last offseason. And what I mean by that, and I know, you know, they were more up against the cap than they were the year before when they added all those guys. I just didn't see an offseason last year in Jacksonville that did enough to take a step forward. I, I sort of, of, I'm of the belief that there was sort of this false sort of belief that, you know, they had done enough. You know, they took that huge step forward. Uh, by winning the division the year before, they were a shocking improvement, right? From what, what the two or three win season they had the year before the number one overall pick, 
They turned it around so quickly and won the division. Well, it's important to remember that things in this league move very fast, okay? Every offseason, teams are trying to improve, and you can't get complacent. And when I looked at the offseason they have, I just never felt like they had done enough to take that next step forward. And that's exactly what happened, right? They didn't take that step. They stayed the same, essentially, right, as a 9-10 win team. They were the same football team they were the year before. I mean, obviously, the uh, on-field results, offense, defense were very different. But the general, you know, they won roughly the same amount of games that they had won the year before. So they had generally stayed the same. And that's sort of what I expected to happen based on the uh, sort of how I viewed it, the uninspiring offseason they had couple more for Justin Mello. Now, the work you do with the Draft Network, Jacksonville needs to draft better. Now, what they've done, Trayvon Walker amidst the collapse at the end of the year, Justin, looked like he started finding himself a little bit. He ends up with 10 sacks. I thought Anton Harrison was terrific for a 27th overall pick. I think he was one of the best rookie offensive tackles in football in 2023. Uh, But guys like Devin Lloyd, Luke Fortner, Brenton Strange, Tank Bigsby, I mean, with Bigs being strange, I know it's only a year. Fortner and Lloyd have, have a couple of years, but they're just not getting the job done right now. Trent Balky, this is an important draft for him because he is not doing well in the draft. It is an important draft for him, and I think with that number 17 overall selection, I believe it is, they're a really interesting team because I think they can go in a couple of different directions. I look at that, you know, we spent a lot of time focusing on the offense, And I get it. They took a step backwards. I don't think that Trevor Lawrence and that offense took the step forward that everyone expected them to take. But one thing that I don't think gets mentioned enough is that 26th-ranked pass defense didn't do them any favors either, right? There's room for improvement there, too. Really good hire at defensive coordinator in Ryan Nielsen. A home run hire, in my opinion. I expect him to be a fairly sizable upgrade over Mike Caldwell. He did a great job in Atlanta this past year, Coach Nielsen did, and he did a great job in New Orleans before that in the various roles that he found himself in. So when I look at that pick, I look at corner, you know, Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams both entering contract years this year. I expect Campbell will eventually sign an extension, but I think a replacement, right, for the aging Williams is probably needed. I look at guys like Cooper DeGene. I look at Quinion Mitchell, who had a huge senior bowl. Those guys are, you know, projected first-round picks that I think will find themselves within that range that Jacksonville is picking in. If you flip to the other side of the ball offensively, it continues to be about supporting Trevor Lawrence. I think the interior of the offensive line hasn't quite been as good um, as it could be. Uh, Brandon Scherf, to my knowledge, is a potential cap casualty. Uh, Luke Fortner at center, you said he's a couple of years in. Well, I think it was the 100th overall selection. It might be time to look elsewhere. I don't think he's quite reached the level they thought he would. I look at a center from Oregon, Jackson Powers Johnson, who just had an outstanding senior bowl, positioned himself to be a potential first-round pick, that he would be plug-and-play at center, or if they still believe in Fortner, you look to upgrade the left guard spot, or again, it surfed the parts at right guard. I look at a guy like Washington Huskies uh, lineman Troy Fatanu, who's very versatile, can play both tackle and guard. I'm projecting him to play guard at the next level personally. Uh, So that's an option there to improve the offensive line. And then uh, on the outside looking in, uh, what's going to happen with Calvin Ridley? Right. I don't think he quite reached the level they thought he was going to this year. I think, you know, they thought they were getting a 1,500 yard receiver. He barely surpassed 1,000 yards. He had nine games, I believe it was, with 40 or under 
receiving yards. So he didn't quite make the impact they thought he was going to. If they let him walk in free agency, certainly you can look at a big-bodied um, sort of you know X-type dominant boundary receiver, a guy like Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU, who has been uh, in that, it was firmly in that first round conversation after having a breakout year for the Tigers this year. So there are a number of directions I think Jacksonville can go in with their first round pick, but I ultimately think it's going to be either an offensive lineman, a receiver, or a corner. Justin Mello of the Draft Network. Justin, as we begin to wrap up, I agree with you. I go back to week 18 in Tennessee and Jacksonville, and the Titans' offensive line pushed the Jaguars around. The Titans' defensive line pushed the Jaguars around. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It's not going to sell a lot of season tickets, and we'll have to wait and see what happens in free agency. But as far as the draft goes, as of right now, I need some big uglies, man. I need some 310-pounders on the O-line and the D-line because that was embarrassing what happened to the Jaguars up in Nashville. Leave us with this. Um, the AFC South, 12 months ago going into that offseason, it was thought to be awful. Now, all of a sudden, you look, three teams were above 500. You got C.J. Stroud, the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Trevor Lawrence, a former number one overall pick. Everybody's intrigued with Anthony Richardson coming back, and everybody's intrigued with Will Levis in Tennessee. This division turned around very quickly, and amazingly enough, Doug Peterson now, the elder statesman of the head coaches in this division, only entering year three, yet he's the longest-tenured coach. Life comes at you fast in the NFL, right? You never know what's going to happen. The AFC South, I agree with you, once viewed as one of the least interesting divisions in all the football, to be honest, is potentially now the most exciting division in football heading into 2024 here. Uh, I, I think, you know, the Houston Texans are, are, are well set up right now. It's hard to go against what they did this past year. I think C.J. Stroud is a bona fide superstar with that said, they're going to have to learn from what the Jaguars experienced this year, right? You, there's no room for complacency. The other three teams are fierce contenders, and now the Texans are operating from a different place, right? They've got the bullseye on their back now. They're no longer the underdog that's catching everyone by surprise. I think the Jags will bounce back. I think they're well-positioned. Doug Peterson's a good head coach. I still think Trevor Lawrence is a franchise quarterback. Battled through some injuries this year. I don't think he was at his best. Uh, and I think they'll, of course, correct some of last offseason's mistakes and improve the roster this year. But certainly you can't sleep on the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans. What happens to them and with them comes down to the two names you said, right? How do Anthony Richardson and Will Levis develop as franchise quarterbacks this year? Both of them now have offensive-minded head coaches, right, and Shane Spiken uh, with the Colts and Brian Callahan with the Titans. Both of their offseasons – are all going to center around supporting those franchise quarterbacks and developing them into what they believe they can be. So it's going to be a very exciting offseason in the AFC South, and it might even be it might be even more unpredictable when the season gets here in September because this division right now is up for the taking. I understand thinking the Texans and Jags are still the two best position teams, but certainly uh, we'll see what happens with Richardson and Levis and how they can position the Titans and Colts. Justin, we got thirty seconds. Derek Henry, one month from today, is he still a Tennessee Titan? No. I'm going to say uh, teams like the Baltimore Ravens, Dallas Cowboys, Buffalo Bills, 
probably going to be very enticing for him. He wants to win a Super Bowl, play for an instant contender. All three of those teams have needs at running back. Uh, The Ravens tried to trade for him during the season, so that's one to watch. Uh, That'll be interesting. Of course, we love Derek. Uh, Uly High School, we had him in studio a bunch during his high school days here in Northeast Florida. Justin, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about the Draft Network and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Follow me on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I'm currently conducting the draft networking interview series. I am interviewing one prospect in the 2024 NFL draft every single day from now to the NFL draft. I started back in January. We are already at 65, 75 of them, roughly. A ton of first-round picks are already – interviews with a ton of projected first-round picks are already there. So many more are coming. Make sure you head over to draftnetwork.com. Weekly mock drafts, the best scouting reports you'll find on any uh, draft-based website and interviews every single day with this draft class. Absolutely terrific. Justin Mello of the Draft Network. He also does a great job covering the Tennessee Titans there for SB Nation. Justin, this is our first conversation. It won't be the last, man. Really enjoyed it. Let's do it again after free agency. We'll see where the Jaguars and the Titans both stand. You know where to find me, Ryan. Pleasure was all mine. And thank you, Justin Mello of the Draft Network, for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. As yeah, it is hard to believe we are one week away next Thursday, a week from Thursday. They are on the field for the NFL Scouting Combine up in Indianapolis. And of course, we are now 20 days away from NFL free agency, which officially gets underway. Wednesday, March 13th, but you can begin negotiating and agreeing to terms on Monday, March the 11th. Well, that'll just about do it. Glad to be back. Enjoyed a little downtime in Orlando, but glad to be back with you guys here on Hacker After Dark. We're in for Baloo all week, and we certainly appreciate you joining us. We have a ton of people to thank tonight. Again, Justin Mello of the Draft Network. Also, uh, always appreciate Justin hanging out with us. Thank you to Dave Kluge of footballguys.com. Really enjoyed talking Jaguars and the offseason outlook with Dave Kluge. Thank you to Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark as we always love talking college football this time of year. Boy, that Florida stat is nuts. The ESPN.com way too early. Preseason top 25. Florida plays nine of those teams. That is insane how hard the Gators' schedule is on paper right now heading into 2024. And thank you to David Griffiths of Jaguar Report for also joining us tonight to give us his thoughts on the Jaguars and what they're going to do in regards to Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, Ezra Cleveland, and the other big decisions they have to make now inside of three weeks out from free agency. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, again, in for blue, and we will do it all over again beginning at 6 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Tuesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.